welcome to Twitch of the Death Nerve, a cult movie podcast that takes a deep dive into a different film each episode. Our wide-ranging discussions will touch on genre, culture, and the history of psychotronic cinema. I'm Charles. I'm Sam. And it may be high time that we update that intro, because it seems more often than not, we are breaking with our original format. Usually when we break formula, it's to focus on a whole series of films as with our El Santo episode, or it's to do like a clickbaity listicle, like our Animal Attack Countdown or our Christmas special, or my personal favorite, uh, the movie marathon recaps. I low-key think my favorite episode of the show might be the Texas Psychorama special. Anyway, uh, today we are doing something totally different. This episode has been in the works for a while, and we are Really excited to finally share it with everyone. Yeah, this one is definitely near and dear to my heart. And many, hopefully all, of our listeners are already big fans of Vinegar Syndrome, so I don't think they really need much of a formal introduction. But as so many of you know, they release some of the most exciting Blu-ray restorations and box sets ranging from 70s hardcore films to shot-on-video movies to art house fair... And I've been working with them for probably about five years now doing commentary tracks and other special features, and they are one of the best companies to work with. They also have a legendary Black Friday sale, so we figured November would be a great time to feature their important work. And this is a time of year where people constantly ask me, you know, what are your favorite Vinegar Syndrome movies? So we figured we'd answer that question plus a hell of a lot more. And also, we took our first vacation in almost the whole year to visit their headquarters in Connecticut, and it was just absolutely wonderful. And, uh, and yeah, we have two really awesome interviews lined up. The first is with Justin La Liberty, who has overseen the production of some of Vinegar Syndrome's greatest disc releases, but who might be better known as the Director of Operations for Vincent's sister company, OCN, which oversees all the releases for their partner labels. Uh, Anyway, it's a short interview, but it's wildly informative. And I mean, it's just a great look at someone who is doing godly work, making cinema, I mean, beyond just genre fare, more accessible to a mass of people. And our second interview is a little a little longer and a little rowdier. A little. <laughs> yeah. We we catch up with Brandon Upson, who has been with Vinegar Syndrome since the very beginning. He's the lead restoration artist and co-owns the archive store. Both interviews are very different, but sort of show two sides of the same coin. So yeah, I think this is going to be a really interesting episode, sort of a behind the scenes of the behind the scenes. And I mean, I know I've always been interested in the process of film restoration, distribution, and the sort of work that companies like Vinegar Syndrome do. And I I think we really get into it here. So without further ado, here is our first interview with wonderful friend, Justin LaLiberty. All right. 
Me and Sam are here with Justin Law Liberty, who is the Director of Operations for Vinegar Syndrome's sister company, OCN Distributions, and is an all-around awesome guy who has invited me and Sam into his home and introduced us to his cat, Princess. You can find Justin on ScreenSlate, where he contributes a column for upcoming 35mm screenings in New York. And if you ever want to harangue him in person, he's posted up occasionally at the Vinegar Syndrome brick and mortar store, The Archive, in Bridgeport, Connecticut. I don't work in the store at all. <laughs> people want to find me in person, they're going to have to hunt me down. Anyway, Justin, thanks again for letting us chat with you. Real quick, first question. What is it that you, that you do? What, 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 what does your job entail for Vinegar Syndrome? So I manage the, the partner label infrastructure. So if people go on the Vinegar Syndrome website, they, we have partner labels, uh, labels like Agfa, Saturn's Core, Culture Shock, you know, um, these labels that kind of have their own following, they exist outside of Vinegar Syndrome. I think sometimes there's a misconception that we manage the partner labels or that, you know, they are Vinegar Syndrome releases, but they aren't. Um, every partner label is its own company that's run by people who do not work for Vinegar Syndrome. And my job is really to schedule those releases, assist in manufacturing, assist in creating supplements, um, getting artwork made, and basically just handle that entire pipeline from an idea existing on on paper as like we want to release these movies to them coming out um, on our website and in stores. So something that I've noticed over the last couple of years that I'm really excited about is just this idea of a partner label network. It seems like because bigger companies like Vinegar Syndrome kind of step in to handle things like distribution and, you know, website sales, it's allowed smaller companies who are putting out really cool releases to get their work out to a bigger audience. So I'm just wondering how you decide who to work with. Like, how do you find these small companies and, you know, what kind of releases excite you? Almost everything excites me. Um, I'm kind of like a sponge for just anything, you know, cinematic. So I'm really excited by the partner labels allowing us, you know, at Vinegar Syndrome or OCN to really like push the boundaries of, you know, what is on physical media and what excites people about physical media. I think there's, you know, kind of this idea around like collectors of discs as being people who are more, you know, firmly in the genre space of they want horror movies, you know, martial arts movies, you know, whatever it is that they're kind of invested in. But I think that that isn't necessarily true. Um, as somebody who is a physical media collector, you know, I want documentaries. I want, you know, foreign films from countries that I haven't seen a lot of cinema from. I want, you know, unearthed animated films. Like I want everything, you know, there's nothing that I'm going to go, I don't want that. Like, don't give it to me. <laughs> like, so I want to be in a position where I can put that stuff out there. Um, you know, one of the things that I've really liked with the partner labels is that we haven't really had to seek many out. Um, they usually come to us and that's really been exciting. You know, either they're coming because they're familiar with vinegar syndrome, or maybe they know other people who are partner labels and they've kind of gotten the idea, like, you know, we're open, you know, our door is open, come to us if, if you're interested. And then there's also some that have known me, um, because of my prior work as a, a film programmer. So there's, it's been really harmonious where it's been sort of this ecosystem that really just kind of took care of itself. It hasn't needed a lot of like, you know, stewardship, I guess. It's really just been this type of thing that, that hit the ground running and doesn't really have any signs of, of slowing down. It seems to just be getting bigger and bigger. And 
I love that you guys have started even partnering with companies like Agfa and it's just sort of nice to see companies supporting each other rather than kind of acting in competition. Yeah, I mean, I don't really, you know, I guess competition's always healthy, you know, kind of sometimes your your best work can come from competition, but at the same time like, you know, when I was programming, I always I never pitted companies against each other. It was never one of those things where it's like, I'm going to support this company over that company or do anything that would really show like that kind of allegiance. It was really just a matter of going, everybody has good movies. Like, why don't we put them out there and make them discoverable? And, you know, some of the things that I really love that I'm passionate about kind of shine through in the partner labels. And like, I love, you know, horror movies and action movies and the stuff Vinegar Syndrome does. Like, I'm extremely passionate about it, but I'm also really passionate about like, American indie films from the 90s and 2000s and, you know, documentaries from just about anywhere. And I really love being able to see these things come out in like lavishly produced Blu-ray editions because that wasn't a thing you really got. You know, a lot of times you have, you know, there's kind of these like, there's like a cultural currency sort of put on companies like Criterion, which I have tons of Criterion releases and, you know, I'm never going to stop buying them. But it always sort of bothered me that you know, there's this gold star kind of applied to like, well, if Criterion release it, you know, I'll watch it. Or, you know, if X company releases it, I'll watch it. Does that make Armageddon an art film? I love Armageddon. I will go to to bat any day. For me, it's It's The Rock. Yeah, I mean, Michael Bay is a legitimate artist. Yeah, he's an auteur. Fight tooth and nail about (laughs) Michael Bay any day. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, Criterion is, they're a business, you know, they're a company that's, releasing films and they have their mission statement and they're doing what they're doing. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that other companies can't come out and put out a movie that, you know, Criterion might put out or Criterion might pass on or any other, you know, company that has like this prestige identity. Like there's no reason that, you know, that has to be synonymous with one brand. It's really frustrating. And I think the reason that I, was initially attracted to vinegar syndrome is because I got the feeling from the people I know who work there that like there wasn't that sort of drive to put things in different genre boxes. Like, you know, you, the company releases everything from porn to, you know, roadhouse was just announced. And it's like, to me, that is what I, that's like how I wish all genre fans felt about cinema is like, what's the next exciting thing I can find and not just, okay, what's the next horror movie or what's the next action movie? It's like, there's so much beyond that. Yeah. And treating porn with that level of like, that level of care is, it's so nice. It's so nice to see that. And then like having Hong Kong releases alongside it, like my favorite kind of movies. It's yeah, it's great. It's great. I'm curious though. How did you get into this? Like you, you, I know you started work as a a programmer in New York. Uh, How did you fall into the vinegar syndrome world? I started working in movie theaters when I was a teenager. So I started as a film projectionist. You know, I went to film school um, and got my bachelor's in film studies. And when I was there, I started running a movie theater. So when I was in my undergrad, I ran a movie theater, like just did everything, like managed it, programmed it, um, hired, you know, ticket takers, like basically just, it was almost like having my own like movie theater sim, but I was actually doing it. And then I also built an archive. I built a film archive when I was in undergrad 
And so from those two things, we're just kind of like, well, I know I'm going to do something with this. And I ended up branching off more into the archival world. And I ended up going to grad school for film preservation. And from there, I just, I didn't really know what to do when I got out of, out of film preservation school. So I went, I just went downstate to be like in the New York City area thinking like, you know, I'll figure it out down there, which a lot of people do. Um, so I just, again, went back to projecting and then I fell into programming with Alamo Drafthouse. So I worked there for a few years. Um, I think that's kind of where, you know, I really like built up what I was doing and started, you know, noticing kind of what I wanted to do and how I could intersect programming and archival work. And so a lot of my work at Alamo was very focused on playing 35 millimeter prints, especially 35 millimeter archival prints, and just noticing, you know, what was happening in restoration and also what was happening in home video, because people kind of look at, you know, what's happening in theaters and what's happening at home as two very disparate things. And they really aren't, you know, there's a lot of like cohesion there because you see, these restorations that are coming out, like 4K restorations, and then like there's almost always a disc release that follows. Like, why would you not put it out? You know, why would you not ex exploit it on every format you can? Which is the business side, you know, talking. But at the same time, it's it's also the access side talking yeah. because not everybody lives in a major market. You know, a lot of the times these big restorations or even 35 millimeter prints, you know, archival prints, they're not going to see the light of day outside of like New York and LA and maybe some other smaller cities. So, you know, my goal being in, I was in Yonkers, New York, which is right outside of New York City for anyone who doesn't, you know, <laughs> know New York geography. Um, so we would have, you know, people come up from the city, but my whole intention was to program these types of screenings for people that didn't live in the city. And as happy as I was when people would come from the city, you know, because that showed like people give a shit, <laughs> was it was also doing it for a community that didn't necessarily have that at, at their fingertips. And I wanted to kind of push that to further happen. You know, there were more Alamo draft houses around the country. They weren't all in major cities and just kind of like pushing that to happen more. And also around that same time, or a couple of years prior, I saw what Vinegar Syndrome were doing. I was very aware when the Herschel Gordon Lewis crowdfunding campaign happened. And I knew like I wanted to somehow get involved with these guys and you know, I became friendly with some people that worked at the company and I was playing their movies at, at Alamo, doing some secret screenings. And it was just kind of meant to be. And I guess when I was on my way out from Alamo, hit up vinegar syndrome and I guess that's, that's yeah, it. That's and awesome. That's history. And I, I love, I never like thought of this until the other day, just, I guess not just how similar, but yeah, how, how similar it seems programming uh, a screening is to even like producing a disc in a way where you want to have like, you know, your pre-show stuff in there. That's like kind of like your special features, maybe with a and a afterwards. And it's like the kind of care that goes into a screening, I think is transferred over really well with a lot of vinegar syndrome releases. When you're putting together some supplementary material and some things to kind of like, you know, beef up the restoration and kind of like, you know, fill out the disc. Where do you know where to look or, or rather like, uh, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Yeah. I mean, you're really looking for something that's appropriate to the film. Like I always approach anything with the film first, you know, I don't, I never have this like grand idea to be like, okay, everything needs like five interviews to come. Like, I don't think in terms of quantity, I'm always thinking about like, this is what this film is, who makes sense for it, and what makes sense for it that they're doing. 
and you know, so much of my background, um, especially like even when going into programming was just like very academic focused. So I always like really look for scholars. I look for, you know, different types of, of criticism. I don't always want to have it be like the same thing. And even when you're looking at genre films and, you know, or whatever you're looking at, like for exploitation, like things like that, I feel like there, there can be a tendency to go like, you know, we want actors, we want directors, we want, you know, all these people that are involved in it. Cause there's, you know, there's a, a credibility there. Like they were there, they know how the movies were made. And then there's also the, you know, the audience factor of people going like, I want to hear what this actor director I like has to say. But for me, like as a consumer and as a collector, like I've always been interested in what people who weren't there think, you know, what, how are these things assessed decades later like what do they mean now and what do they mean to different people and i've always wanted to try and give you know marginalized voices a voice in things like this you know i really want to bring in people of color different orientations i really want to have women be a part of the conversation and there's definitely a misconception that like you know the horror crowd is like you know kind of a, a guy's crowd and i think that it's really important to sort of shun that and to make everybody feel welcome and that's one of the things I've always wanted to do is like just make everybody feel welcome and there's no reason to not. So yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's really a film by film basis, but it's it's having as diverse of a voice as you can in regards to everything we do. And I think that makes sense because what we do is very diverse and all the content should match that. That's definitely part of why I think Vinegar Syndrome is probably my favorite company to work with because I feel like there's that attitude like sometimes the schedule gets crazy and releases like, you know, things that you only know about on the back end, like things get delayed, things get pushed up. And that's true of pretty much every Blu-ray company I've worked with. But I feel like the level of respect and care around the individual films, whether it's something made for $5 in some guy's backyard or like a lavish, you know, Hollywood production, it's just the sort of equalizing attention that you guys give to releases is always great. And on that note, are there any special favorite projects you've worked on or even vinegar syndrome releases you haven't worked on that you love? I mean, my favorite thing that I worked on recently was probably writing wrongs. It was just like, I've always, you know, a lot of us have always loved martial arts movies um, and especially growing up and just like stuff that I'm really passionate about, like is, you know, Asian cinema in general. I really love our partner label, Connie. Um, that's been something I've really enjoyed working with them and just kind of seeing, you know, these films that I'm not aware of. And that's what I'm really excited to see, you know, with some of the partner labels like Connie or Canadian International, where they're bringing in films that I've never even heard of. Yeah, which is great. that's the best stuff. Yeah, that's the stuff right there, you know. That's what I want. Yeah. And, you know, Writing Wrongs, of course, the movie I've heard of and seen numerous times, but it was really nice to be able to put together this package for a movie that you love dearly and want to have people, you know, dig into and, like, just really sink their teeth into like this robust package that like doesn't leave any stone unturned. Um, so I really love that. I love a comprehensive package. I love, you know, putting our all into something and giving collectors what they want. And I think that we really did with that. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, there's been so many releases I didn't have anything to do with. Like, Liquid Sky was kind of a holy grail for me. Yeah. So good. Yeah, and the Telephone Book, you know, was in the early days of Vinegar Syndrome. It's like one of my all-time favorite movies. Same. So Which I, I discovered out, because... I think one of the first times I went to an actual like vinegar syndrome table at a convention, they were like, you need to get the telephone book. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. And it's, you know, even just seeing like, you know, some of the supplements, like the, the commentary from Malabimbo is one of my favorite commentaries. Why? Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I, I had nothing to do with that disc, but you know, it's like that kind of, you know, just hearing what people have to say about something after the fact and especially multiple voices at the same time. Yeah. I, I know some people don't like, uh, commentaries with too many people on them at the same time. I really like that because I like hearing conversations and it's one thing, you know, people can really put together a great commentary on their own, but I think having somebody to bounce ideas back and forth with like any kind of discourse is really important, especially when you're dealing with topics that are controversial. I think having, you know, maybe not necessarily differing viewpoints, but viewpoints that come from different places, yeah, I think can be really important. And whether those different places are like, different countries of origin or different ages or different races or whatever they may be, even if you might agree, you're still coming from a different place. And I think that's really important is to like have different backgrounds come together and talk about these things that might not be easy to talk about. I think also with certain types of films, like you said, things that are maybe a little more controversial or even something like Malabimba where there are scenes in it that are kind of ridiculous it's much easier to talk about with another person or with multiple other people. And so like you can laugh at the scenes that make you laugh, but in a way that doesn't feel disrespectful because you're spending 90 minutes talking about how great it is and how you want to live in this like Andrea Bianchi extended <laughs> universe. <laughs> yeah. There seems to be some levity there. And I really like that because that to me also more so mirrors how you watch movies like, yeah. In your time, you know, like you're usually going to watch something like Malabimba. I mean, maybe not usually. I guess it depends on how weird of a person you are, but everyone I would watch should that watch Malabimba. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I would watch that with someone. Like, the, if I'm going to watch Malabimba again, it's probably going to be because I'm showing it to someone. It's not going to be because I'm just watching Malabimba. Great. I haven't seen it. So oh, you got, a, you got an coming. opportunity here. <laughs> you got to watch it. It's, it's definitely the kind of thing, you know, like a lot of movies like that, or even something like Water Power. Like, oh, I'm yeah. going to probably, like, if I'm watching Water Power again, it's probably because I'm like, you have to see this crazy movie. And that's how people, like, you know, approach a lot of these things. It's like, typically, I'm not watching these movies alone all the time thinking about, like, oh, yeah, an enema would be really nice right now. Like, I'm not thinking about, <laughs> like, I'm not watching, I want to watch it with someone and be like, how are you reacting to this? And then, like, you know, after it's over, you talk about, like, why was this movie made? How was it made? Like, why are we Who still watching it? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> but you having those conversations internally is not nearly as fun as having it with someone else. And that's why I like kind of hearing what people have to say together. And this is why Charles shouldn't yell at me for talking during movies. Oh, no. <laughs> I love having the commentary on at all times. It's terrific. <laughs> all right. Yo, thank you so much for sitting down with us and, and chatting with us for a while. Yeah, thank you. Sure. And thank you for all the great work that you do. Thank you. It's like a pastiche yeah. way to fade back in. Like you, you fade back into like a laughing joke that we're already like we, we were talking the whole time. Like you know how like when they cut back from commercial in interview shows, the guest and the guy would be like, oh yeah, oh and we're back, you know, like that sort of thing. But it always seems weird and fake. Yeah.
so that was Justin La Liberty. Yeah, thank you so much, Justin. And I feel like the things that he said, especially towards the end of his interview, really kind of illustrate what I was talking about in the very beginning of the episode when I said, you know, I love working with Vinegar Syndrome. They're one of the best companies around. And what I meant by that, because I I feel like a lot of people don't really understand what it's like to work on a disc release. Some companies, you know, their heart's in the right place, but they don't have a lot of staff. They don't have a lot of funding. And sometimes they're really disorganized. And that's what can make people not great to work with. But Vinegar Syndrome, Justin in particular, a lot of disc producing, it's sort of like being a project manager. You're the person who keeps everything on schedule and organized. You bring all the elements together. And I think Vinegar Syndrome, even when you know, it's inevitable that somebody's schedule might change. Like maybe you found a missing part of a reel that you now can access and have to include. So the release date gets pushed back or or something like that. They're great at communicating. I feel like they form friendships, not just business relationships, like that sense of community. I think that is, is the one thing that kind of yeah, it took me by surprise after talking with Justin is that I I never really thought about the human face behind film distribution. Like like in my mind, film distribution, that was for like corporate suits who are just there to squeeze the fucking lemon of the art and, you know, wring every fucking penny out of it. But like this just shows that there are people that are in that are doing film distribution, they're doing distribution work that really fucking care like some of the the sister labels that ocn is is lifting up they're releasing things that are these like obscure documentary films like like shit that's not going to make any real money you know but it's just it's important that these movies are treated with the level of care that major releases are that that are getting restored and are getting out there and are accessible now i mean that accessibility that that these people are are it's just it's so nice it's a labor of love it really fucking while is. also being a business yeah i mean yeah if there was no money to be made then it would not work in this you know hell fucking world we live in with money but that's a story for another day um but it also i think connecting that distribution angle with like what the company does with their physical store, the archive. Oh, it's yeah. like to be able to walk into a place. And when we were there, and this happens to me every time I go, it's like I buy so much random shit yeah. because it's just so exciting to see. Like we just bought a vintage version of the Nightmare VHS board game. It was it's so fucking sick. I got a stack yeah. of VHS tapes and laser discs. So the archive store... It is a mecca. It is incredible. It was like people told me about it and they were like, yeah, it's amazing. It's you have to go there. You're, you're not going to believe it. And, and in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, fucking right, buddy. It's a movie store. They sell DVDs. I've been to a million of them. Who gives a shit? But holy, oh, it's just it's amazing. It was breathtaking. It felt like I was. Ah, it, it It's amazing there. And there's one thing that you know, shocks me the most about this entire trip that we took is that 
I mean, Connecticut, it's an awful fucking state. It's, it's terrible. It's a giant highway. It's a giant suburb that's just broken up by the occasional office park. It's an extension of Long Island. It's, it's awful. But holy shit, the archive. Go to Connecticut. It's my favorite state. Well, also, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to, I don't do this very often on our show, but I'm going to have to razz on you a little bit. What? So when I said, probably back in September, hey, this is where we're going in October, you were kind of a brat about it. You wanted to go to Connecticut on vacation. That's insane. That's like going to a screen door factory for fun. I know, and you acted like I was taking you on a trip to the dentist. Uh, I would rather. Well, I know you love the dentist. I'm also rather fond of the dentist. (laughs) (laughs) But... But when we finally went, my favorite part of the trip was honestly every cool thing we did, just seeing how excited you were. And it was like, yeah, see, this is why we're here. This I, <laughs> I feel like I need to take back an entire lifetime of taking a shit on Connecticut because I had such a lovely time there. And honestly, one of the loveliest parts is getting to sit down with Brandon Upson, who is a lead restorationist for Vinegar Syndrome. He has been there forever. I don't think he ever goes home. I think yeah. he says he's going home, but really he just like lives in the basement. It's so funny. I <laughs> thought that like he was going to be the busiest guy in the world. He was going to give us a five minute sound bite of an interview. And this was so much fun. I mean, I had so much fun doing this interview with him. And well, I- and I feel like the thing that you really have to appreciate, not just you, but more like anyone who's listening, is that Brandon really is the busiest person in the world. And people and that's coming from you. And that's coming from me. And so the fact that he just was willing to be interviewed because normally yeah. he's a pretty private person and is really focused on the work and I think doesn't want his personal opinions to enter into that but we just had the best time and really yeah he's one of my favorite people in the whole world okay so here is our interview with brandon upson first i'm like i don't care i've done this a million times not me me. i'm a fucking i'm super nervous never restart uh i guess one thing i did want to say that's kind of off topic but uh i remember when blu-rays first came out i uh i thought they were a huge fucking scam you know like i had dvds Mm. and they looked great you know, I mean, they were they were great. And everyone's like, oh, I'll get the Blu-ray for like, yeah. you know, Eaten Alive or some cool movie. And part of me was thinking, I don't want to see this movie look good. Like, I like yeah. that it looks like I like seeing it in theaters on a 35 millimeter print. And like, it looks like shit. That's just just the way I like it. But uh, John, our, our co-host, showed me Baby Rosemary on Blu-ray. Which is the greatest. And it was the first time that I watched... A movie at home and notice the difference and but uh, it, it seemed like i was watching a 35 millimeter oh uh, yep i just love that about vinegar syndrome and a lot of other boutique labels they don't lose the integrity of the film and you are the lead or you're a restoration artist yep and scanning technician and just, just basically working every which way I can to preserve, help preserve and restore these films, you know? And a lot of that is the cleaning and just assessing that the films are complete and just 
getting them to look as good sometimes honestly better than how they looked when they came out but it's just when they look great they just they just pop so say i was an old man and i had in my basement a super rare print you know of this like gross movie water power (laughs) you know (laughs) one that you never even heard of you know one where the guy's got like water power too yes it's what i found water power too baby and it's nasty revenge of the water yes (laughs) cleaned again (laughs) and and i come to you what is or can you like walk us through the process of you get a you get a film real sent to you so the i mean the first thing I guess first things first is to kind of figure out the rights. You know, we, we do not bootleg. We don't, and you know, the same is for all these labels too, is we, you have to do the research and see who owns this film. You know, does this person giving you the film actually own it or do they just have, have the elements and you need to look elsewhere. Sometimes, you know, a lot of these films from the seventies and yes, it's now getting to the point where you're talking about like generations further, a family who might own it. But sometimes they yeah. don't even know. But um, we get the film in, and then we'll assess it. Does it have vinegar? Um, and for those, I guess, listening who might not know this, I'm sure most of them do, but vinegar syndrome is what happens when you don't take care of film. The chemicals within it start to essentially decay. And it gives off, like, the best way to describe it is... It smells like a hoagie. But, like... <laughs> It, it could get to like it smells like you know raw vinegar but on steroids somehow like yeah it, it like seeps totally. into your mind when you smell it too. <laughs> like, yeah the other day when we went into the uh like the little storage locker yeah, that you yeah. have here i was it felt like we were walking into a morgue you know the, <laughs> it, the, it was freezing in there it had this like chemical yeah. smell it, was, it didn't smell like a real morgue, though. If that makes you no. feel better, well, no, yeah, the yeah. more yes, <laughs> we have the resident mortician. <laughs> but okay, so after you get the rights to the film, what's the what's the next step? Uh, the next step is also to kind of assess the film, make sure it's complete. You know, especially with you know stuff out of I'm sure you've seen like the Giallos, stuff out of Europe, stuff out of Hong Kong, and but even American films that we're discovering as well is was this film actually complete? Was uh, a lot of times, and I hated that they did this back in the eighties, seventies, nineties. They would, they would make cuts on the original negative for yeah. for violence, nudity, or editorial changes too, and change the cut that way. And can you find that stuff? Is there another element they could use? Is there a print? Is there inner positive, inner negative, or the various things you could use? Um, and then once we find that out, and if if the film is complete or or we are able to get access to what outtakes or you know anything extra if the film requires it that way we once that's done then we actually begin the process of fully cleaning the film uh we'll run it through our old school we have a lot of old school machinery here yeah, and it's, yeah. but we have like a magnatech sound reproducer a lipsner smith film cleaning unit and we just run it through the cleaner and and depending on the level, we'll run it through a couple times too. get, you know, nice with the alcohol and everything, too. So it. the film cleaner, I'm kind of imagining this as, do you remember uh, old VCRs? They had like a tape that you could like rent <laughs> oh, or the buy. Cleaning oh, tape? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So is it kind of like, like this is a crude uh, comparison, but like, is it kind of like that? Is it just kind of like going through? 
I mean, it kind of looks like that when when the film is like rolling through it because it makes that sound of like it sounds it sounds worse than it is. But yeah. It sounds like almost like a squealing type thing when the film's going through, but it's it's not really it's powerful. But it's cleaning nice. It's not scratching or anything either. But yeah, once that's done, then we'll pop it on the film scanner and depending on a lot of things, if it's 2K or 4K, and we'll run it through the film scanner. And then after that, begins the restoration process. Um, some, a lot of films, you know, films take longer than others. Some can take, God, hun- like, I don't want to say hundreds of hours, but close to yeah, for oh, restoration. Yeah. Some can be cleaned in, you know, a matter of a couple of weeks. How do you decide? So I know that, Obviously, people love to complain on the internet, and I've definitely seen people complain that sort of like what Charles was saying at the beginning, that sometimes when movies are too cleaned up, they don't have that like original grain, and how do you decide like which things to repair? At least what we're seeing, and when we do clean this up, we're getting to the original grain. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot of some sometimes what people see on you know these dirtier films and like dvds and stuff back then when they weren't really restored it's not so much film grain it's like digital noise almost you're yes. seeing at that point you know and and it is tough to see because like with the 16 millimeter films even you know stuff like we did for thriller or flesh eater those were really it's thick grain film and it's just it just that's just how it looks and that's yeah. that's the original film grain and we really don't want to like do digital noise reduction or anything like that to take it and make it look waxy and make it okay. Look I think weird. Yeah. I think that's what I'm thinking of is that digital reduction oh, that oh. makes it look like studios. Out. Big studios are notorious for that. You know, it looks gross. Not, don't want to yeah. name any names except Predator <laughs> Blu-ray. That <laughs> no, but that that was a big big problem. And you have these old school companies and people saying, "Oh no, that's take that off." That you know that that. It, the shinier the better and that's yeah. not necessary even even when we fully restore something you know we have films too like a good example is um hard rock zombies yeah. where there was no like negative there was no we we found people thought there was no 35 print there was it was cut so but it was and it was a beat, beat up print too so we restored it as much as we could would would and that's another thing we won't leave digital artifacting if it if it looks like it's going to artifact we'll just leave the dirt or leave the the scratch in and just leave it as is so a digital artifact that is when that's something that is introduced usually by mistake okay so if it's you know is is it like you're trying to get rid of a a crack in the film or something like that or like like a dirt hit or something and you want to try and match it as well as possible now especially with like these older negatives and stuff the film cleaning like the actual machine should help with that first okay is to actually clean out some dirt but there's always going to be dirt afterwards too no matter what you do but doing that you're able to at least get to the fine grain get to see the all the dirt problems that remain and figure out a way you know ways to remove them while keeping the film itself yes and making it look natural making it even out so random question well not really do you always need a negative or at least a 35 millimeter print to put something out nope we got a kind of our mantra is film so we'll 
as long as it's something film. Um, you know, what we will do too, though, to complete the film, we've done it with Undertaker, uh, Hard Rock Zombies is we'll find like these prints, negatives or stuff, but they're not complete. But the only, the complete version may exist on a one inch tape or a tape of some kind. And we'll, uh, we'll actually put that footage in. So the film is complete, but we'll, it'll have some SD kind of inserts. Okay. But they'll still look all right, you know? So, and that's been the case a couple of times, but it's not a deal breaker if it's not on negative at all. That's just the best we could find. For if, sure. If it is. I noticed that like a lot of the earlier um, releases from Vinegar Syndrome, they looked a little rougher. And I don't mean that as a slight at all. No. <laughs> I, I don't. Like, I, I actually that's what made me say, oh, hey, I think I fucking like this Blu-ray stuff, you know? Because it, it, like I said earlier, it felt like I was yep. in a movie theater watching a film print. Oh, yeah. Has your methodology, has it changed? Well, also the technology changed. We kind of upgraded our, ourselves kind of after a couple of years. And then um, we, we found that, you know, different techniques work a little bit better. Different ways of cleaning work a little bit better, too. And we've been lucky enough to find films in better condition too. That also helps as well. So, you know, some of those early films, they weren't in the best condition. And, you know, a lot of times you're also kind of le not learning on the spot, but you are, it depends on each film. You're improvising it, on the yeah, spot. Sometimes you have to. Yeah. Oh, so, for know, sure. And we've actually, we've posted about this too, because you don't see it a lot of times, but you did see it a lot in some of our uh, adult films is when they printed the film, the negative a bug would get caught and you'd see like we're like what is that damage <laughs> we're like and it, it took one you know our one of our owners i work right under him ryan emerson he's like i think that's a bug like <laughs> like a squished fly that was in the film so we have a little salute that's... for thank you for your sacrifice oh yeah that's <laughs> delightful yeah. have you ever heard of insect politics <laughs> so but you're finding all these like weird things you're I hate to bring up a lot of the adult films, but they had, as far as production, because they, they meant well, but a lot of the production, like, especially with like something like Tobolina, where, you know, if the lighting was wrong, the film gives off like a weird effect. And we're like, well, do we fix that? Because that that's how it was on the film. Yeah. You know, like, but it looks horrible. Like, it's like, <laughs> and we've had people come in like, oh, wh why does it look like this for this film for this problem? Or like, that's in the film. Like, if we get rid of it, you know, it'll lose some integrity. Yeah, you know, or or, or it's like it's it'll that's lose just how its, it is. Yeah, we, we can't get rid of it. Like, there's <laughs> there's there's no way around it. So, how did you get into this? Before all of this, I went to school not so much for like filmmaking. I went to community college to learn like video editing, mm -hmm. and I couldn't really afford film school. But what Connecticut did have was a school for broadcasting, radio, TV video editing all of that it was it, it at the time it was meant more for like espn and like sports yeah. stuff and i was like it was like one headbanger in the in the place <laughs> yeah. Like there's, yeah. yeah there's but i i knew they taught like video editing too and but w it was cool because i won't say it at the time but like my student loan was like it was like really low it was like a used car wow payment for, and wow you you went right to that and they they helped with internships and they said, okay, we'll place you here. I went to work with this guy who sold like frames out of his basement on green screen. That, that didn't last long. But then, <laughs> but then right after, um, 
I know this is a long story. I'm no, apologize no, no. for that. But no, no. no. It's, uh, but right afterwards, a teacher or counselor from there reached out. He's like, listen, I need someone to uh, shoot baseball games. And it, it was for like the minor leagues here in Connecticut. It was like the Minnesota Soda Twins affiliate, something like that. I had no idea what to do. I had, I didn't. I don't follow sports either, but I learned how to follow the ball after it gets hit, which is crazy and all these things. And then from there, I worked on some no budget films, just helping out. And then one day I get a call from someone who's no longer here. And at the time it wasn't vinegar syndrome. It was for the building that we're in right now. It was meant to be something else. It was meant to be like a video distributor, but for like stuff like um me tv and like not like nick at night like okay uh, like their big thing would be like here would be like bonanza and yeah stuff we like got that. the whole fucking little rascals yeah, you know exactly set here. yeah but they <laughs> yeah. had like the public domain like like you could buy for like it was a ridiculous low price it was like six bucks you got the copy of nosferatu on dvd but then you got a shirt with it oh Whoa. my god hell yeah yeah and they had they had that for like everything from like reefer madness and everything I love a promotion. Yeah. yeah. Great, you know? And it was like, yeah, ridiculous. It was like six bucks or something. That's bucks, awesome. Something like it's like, oh, hey, yeah. you get a pizza from Pizza Hut and you get Bill and Ted's bogus yeah. Yeah. I remember those <laughs> days. Everybody remembers those days. They're the best days. And doing that, then uh, my friend who worked here, he was like, listen, they need someone to do quality control. And I'm like, okay, that, that sounds interesting. And they're like, yeah, you get to watch... My friend simplified it a bit, but it wasn't... It you was get like, to watch 2,000 hours of Bonanza. Well, it was <laughs> what he said was, you get to watch, like, oh, just watch movies and QC and make sure they're good. I'm like, oh, cool. What it was was about, you know, 500 hours of videos of, like, Roy Rod, the old Roy Rod, yeah. the old John Wayne. Yeah, like, Sam Crow, likes this like, shit, not me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so what you were looking... In them this for... was video files. Too. Gotcha. This was like videos for, it was looking for like the digital lines and digital glitches from like tapes. You would, I mean, it, like tracking issues yes. for yeah. VCR. And now in between, sprinkled in between them were films like randomly, like, yeah, they have a list and it was like Night Train to Terror. Whoa. Like, oh. Yeah. Like Night Train to Terror was in there. That was also the first time I saw Alien Zone. Which we put out. I forget. It's what's the alternate title? House House of the Dead. Wow. I think it's called. It's a horror anthology. It's oh actually that sounds really awesome. really underrated. I, I think. Um, and then I just started with that. And this is even before Vinegar Syndrome took off. This was just they were again they were looking to do film like restoration, film scanning, but for other companies. Um, okay. But then they said, Hey, you wanna you wanna learn? You really you're pretty good at this. You wanna learn how to do it? And I just i got started and and now you never leave the building no. yeah, not <laughs> yeah. <No. laughs> but that's how we really started is when we got at the same time that's when we found you know the lost films of herschel gore and lewis which were black love uh ecstasies of women and linda and abilene and, oh yeah and then the other lost film we found at the time was massage parlor murders all in the same collection. which is so yeah. cool yeah and that's when we we're like well let's let's start a kickstarter to try and finish these out and that was like 10 years ago right i think it was even longer before i start like when i started well here. i mean but yeah 10 years uh, yep just about happy 10 years anniversary now, so thanks <laughs> yeah and i'm curious uh, to kind of go back to something you were saying earlier about how the first step is to 
secure the rights or at yeah. least find out who has the rights to start a conversation, I imagine. What do you th- would you say is like one of the obstacles to that? A- and I think the first thing I'm curious about is when you have rights to hardcore films. The, those rights are actually easier than most other really for, other for some reason in yeah. my head i kind of assumed that like a lot of those old uh hardcore movies like it's just like some like owned by a crime family yeah you know some yeah. old oh, guy well, they were at some yes, point they yeah were. multiple points Listen, the guy yeah. owns a pizza shop you know it's a legitimate <laughs> business and he has he's laundering his pizza dough to, yeah 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 but so so those are are easier rights to um relatively i mean it all again it all depends on the film you know some yeah. of some of the films we've put out, they they're public domain. They're just straight up public domain. But some, a lot of films, especially the triple X films, they came out from certain companies were mob owned or not. They were they were like licensed companies, yeah. and they they lasted for decades still. And that they even to this day, you know, they under one branch still has all of these films. You know, yeah. so and well, then what would you say is like the kind of the, the hardest nut to crack? when or like they're the, kind of like the hardest type of movie to get or it it all depends well i mean we're i guess i'm not I'm, i don't mean to like be asking for gossip or anything no yeah, but yeah. i mean like well, i can uh, give an example there were a few films where uh, God, i can't talk about the ones i want to talk about because the but like what we've discovered is there are films where just everyone related to the film including the ownership is dead but the film is not necessarily in public domain either. And oh. we, so, it's so kind there, of in... there's, there's a term, they call them orphan films, where okay. they're not public domain, but they're not like... They're just in limbo. They're in limbo. So theoretically, if you found a film like that and you released it anyway, I mean, I don't think you guys would do something no, like yeah. that, but like a smaller company, what's the worst thing that could happen? Someone I mean, it, could I, come it out kind of, the of the depends on how far it reaches type of thing. Okay. We've had, case, not we've had cases, but there are cases of like, just like a, a law firm owns a film. Surprise. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, that could be, that could be really You'd rather really the fucking bad. mob, right? Yeah. yeah they would just take money. But uh, no, a lot of times it's finding out, you know, certain films are owned by these entities or there's uh, the other issue. And it's, it work, usually works out too. Is there's people who own the films they don't know they own them, and yeah, that's like, wild. Yeah, and it's usually like I cannot remember the film in our library, but it's it's owned by I believe a race car driver. What? And we were able to get in touch, and he doesn't like, make even... a deal. Yeah, but you know what? Like, well, like they whoever they inherited it uh-huh. from two generations past or something yeah i feel like it almost like when you say that that's crazy how could you own a film then not even know uh i'm sure it's the same thing with property holdings like but also like haven't you ever had a movie and been like damn i didn't know i had that like holy shit i, think the, I, think <laughs> I had this rich. fucking tape just sitting that, here that happens to me every time i come to the archive i'm like oh my god i need to buy this and then i oh. get home and i'm like i oh, already I own an, this i have an app on my phone that literally tells me what is in my collection and i just adjusted you're living in the year 3000 man <laughs> yeah. that's fucking that's awesome we've we've had a unrelated though but we had a guy come he's this awesome awesome old guy who came in and he spent like three grand in the store one time he was so excited but he had a massive like 
like college five subject notebook. Yes. Filled with everything he owns. That's what oh I God. should do. No, yeah. that's so, so cool. I stop buying books and movies that I already own. And he was <laughs> like, he was real excited to show like his Dracula films. He's like, I have 173 Dracula Whoa. films. You're like, ones I never heard of this either. This guy and should be my new best friend. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, Dracula blows is cool. And well. <laughs> yeah, we're watching Dracula Sucks soon. We're pretty hyped for that. Uh, I think you also, oh, I think you also have to watch, uh, what's the Ray Dennis Steckler one? It's the, the Dracula Dirty Old Man? Dra- no. No, Mad Love of a Hot Vampire. Yes. Yeah. Whoa. It's a Florida vampire film where he has to drink semen too. It's, it's Bring bizarre. it on. It's yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. I guess... Uh, <laughs> I am really curious about this space that we're in, the the archive. I mean, it had been sold to me just like... Well, the film archive. There's another. There's the archive of the store. Too. Yeah, the archive of yeah, yeah. the store. And, well, I mean, I assume they're kind of like... Oh, yeah. Two we're, sides of the same coin. Yep, yep. And it had always been sold to me as this sort of like... Uh, uh, this mecca. This like holy site for like film people to visit at some point. And... I mean, you know, I'm I'm a disrespectful. You're skeptical. I'm a skeptic, you know, and I'm like, yeah, it's a fucking movie. St- it's a store that has DVDs for sale. Like, who gives <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, you don't understand. <laughs> when the other day, when we first got here and we were walking around, it was one of the first times since you know my like teenage years and my childhood that I had that like video store feeling where I had looked at all of this huge line of VHS tapes. And a lot of them I never even fucking heard of. And some of them I was just like, holy shit, I forgot this movie existed. And as soon as I went through them all, I had this like psycho urge to just go back to the start and just do it again one more time. Like, And, and that was a feeling that I had at the video store where I would yep. just go there and I would look at shit for an hour. That, and I'd been there a million fucking times. Like I knew everything they had. But I had to go and look at them all. And sometimes I would leave without even getting anything. And I had the very same feeling the other day here. Sorry, I, there should be a question at the end of this, but I'm really just excited <laughs> Wait, I, about I it. Wait, I can follow this up with Please, a question. Please, t- take over. I'm just stuttering okay. into abyss. So, <laughs> so I think what you're trying to ask is, how did the archive store come about? Because like, adding on to my question slightly, the thing, one of the things that excites me the most about Vinegar Syndrome is I feel like every two or three years, there's like some additional component to the company and the store is, you know, obviously because it's a place you can come and visit and yeah. sit and talk to people for hours <laughs> and is very exciting. You know, we started that because, you know, we're video collectors ourselves and everything. But we also, with a few of these film collections we got in, all of a sudden we find, you know, boxes and boxes of vid- other tapes that came just they were in the collection, you know. And some of these were adult, but a lot of these were horror too. And we just, we just wanted to build a, a store out of it. One of our owners, Ryan, his like first job was in a record store, like back in, God, said Iowa or Minnesota when he was like in his teenage years, and that's where he got started with, you know, doing a record store as well. And then he went right into a movie theater and just worked, Beautiful. doing concessions yeah. and oh, yeah. <laughs> living the dream. Yeah, oh, yeah. exactly. So. Um, but that we kind of were like, you know what, there's, there's only two video stores in Connecticut, even then, like when we, you know, five years ago, and then now there's only really one and, um, best video, which again, I recommend to people for video rentals around here too. And then like, yeah, cause you have all these bigger mainstream places that are just getting rid of all their movies 
and we're like let's let's open one up let's let's yeah we, we had the space we could do it and it's a lot of sweat and tears and we just got through it and opened it up and you know right really right after that we hired brian our manager brian's and the best and yeah he's grumpiest just, person alive but Hey, you, you want to see some sick cruising and water power tattoos, though? You could yeah. find no one better. <laughs> so, yeah. like, um, but uh, no, and he really like made the store what it is today with that. And, yeah, it's changed so much. Yeah. Just like the look of it, it's yep. so amazing. It's been and it's been great. It's a way for people to come by. I guess the whole thing is we want people to come come down and yeah. meet people and buy vinegar syndrome in person and. Like at the time, we're like the only way to do this is if we make a video store here. Yeah, and yeah, so we just just did it. It's awesome. <laughs> I mean, and and one thing that I thought was really remarkable is that uh, I could afford some of this stuff here. I mean, not any of the vinegar syndrome stuff. <laughs> That's for the, our our very rich yeah, listeners, right, yeah. you know. <laughs> but like, I mean, we got like a stack of fucking awesome laser discs and VHS tapes, and, and I, the nightmare VHS game. Oh hell yeah! Oh, like yeah. it's awesome I, oh, here, yeah, man. I never it's, played that. It's so, oh, it's good. so fun. It it's, yeah, I love those games that come with like a tape you yeah. have to follow along and pause constantly and we're like a crypt keeper a guy in a crypt keeper costume yells at you oh my if god you're, if and you're he, not playing he fast looks like enough. shit he looks awful it's so cool <laughs> oh man oh wait and didn't aren't you also opening a store in colorado yeah, yeah that's the so second exciting one yeah that's the second one we're doing there because we it got to a point with our company where with covid happening shipping and this was the case with a lot of companies shipping just became insane and yeah. we're like we got to figure out a way to open a second place in like the western half of the U.S. to ship from and take care of like the western half and like Australia stuff like that from there. Yeah. So we were able to do that, and in that again in that building we bought mostly for storage and shipping. There was a storefront. <laughs> so oh yeah. We're like, it's so wonderful. Yeah. So that at the time of this, uh, at this time, it's it's not. Quite 100% open yet but it will be and really close they kind of wow. had a soft opening and oh that's awesome yeah so that's so cool yeah so that'll, that'll be happening pretty soon i don't know exactly when. <laughs> what you need to do next is open a store in philadelphia that has a screening space we've been told that <laughs> okay i got uh, I've, I've probably told you it a yeah. few times <laughs> no not just you yeah this is a question that i have to ask yep you know i i am i'm obliged to ask it's like you know whenever uh I don't know, some fucking actor is being interviewed and they're like, oh, hey, when are you going to make Lawnmower Man 3? You know, the people are clamoring I for it. Is that is that a thing? That's going <laughs> to... Who see? knows? <laughs> you see? The people want to know. They, they want it. They want Lawnmower Man 3. <laughs> they're, they're ignoring Job's war and they're just going straight to the story of just... Or what okay. uh, Texas Chainsaw 2, which, you know, QC, we watched so many times and but seeing uh, Bill Mosley just scream out, give the people what they want. Yeah, give them what they want. <laughs> Vietnam Land or Tom Land. <laughs> I want to I want to buy some uh, radio ad time. Are you fucking crazy? We are closed. So, are there any projects that aren't quite announced? I mean, we don't have a very big listener. Is there any anything that you're working on that you got in the biosphere? Yeah, he yeah. can't. He can't I know. tell well, us. Hey, listen, if they were making Walmart Man three, they wouldn't just fucking announce it at some stupid podcast. Okay, my. My real, my actual question <laughs> is, so I have two of them. Mm -hmm. The first one is, 
is do you have a dream project that you hope will come to pass one day, but seems difficult because of elements issues or rights issues? I think my dream project isn't even necessarily for vinegar syndrome. I think it's for somebody, anybody, even the said studio that owns this project to just put out and do a great job of. And that's the devils. Uh, yeah, oh, that's always my yeah. go-to answer. <laughs> like, yeah. That it's... one, I mean, you could do like a podcast series on the behind the scenes and like just yeah. the drama that happened afterwards and why this film still isn't really coming out and just it's everything with it. Warner so, are just I mean, like any company or even any individual rights holder who knows that they have something special and Warner have an entire vault of something special yeah. and they just sit on it. What sucks is that they are putting great stuff out with Warner Archive. Like genuinely love, like they just did. Uh, was it the, like the Mark of the Vampire from the yeah. 40s, and now they got um the Frederick March Jekyll and Hyde, which they did that's a awesome. restoration of. And I'm just saying, like they have this stuff in the Devils. I'm like, controversial or not, you know, like, Cruising came out, you know, like all, all these controversial films came out eventually, and the devils if you've seen it it's 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 a pretty crazy film but i don't, yeah, I, I, don't I, I haven't it's yeah. in my top five favorite movies of all time there's also so much existing archival yeah. material like you could put out an epic box set yeah. there are commentary tracks done with ken, ken russell. russell and wow. some of the it's it's one of the best commentary tracks out there he's delightful and yeah he t he did a lot of interviews even years yeah. later before he d passed away about the films too but yeah you just who's the guy that's in it that looks like ernest borgnine but isn't it he's like oliver the, reed oliver reed yeah he's like tough ernest <laughs> that borgnine looks like ernest borgnine <laughs> he looks like, like swole daddy borgnine doesn't he <laughs> I'm going to drop dead right now. I feel now. like he does. I've never heard that description. Me neither. Oliver. He doesn't look like Ernest Borgnine. Yeah. Oliver Reed does not look like Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> He's got the eyes. Okay. And, okay, okay. okay. And My like... second question for you <laughs> before we get into a fist fight. Just interrupt. You should watch The House of Usher that we put out with yes. Oliver Reed in it as Roderick Usher. So and we Donald Pleasant. So we mother. we did. Oh, you did. Wait, is that so, something we just watched? That so we had with the hook hand or yeah. no? No, uh, what do you have? Yeah, his like Freddy Krueger hand. <laughs> no, so, so so we Donald had Pleasant. an Edgar Allan Poe themed marathon oh, okay. where where I picked. It was my like I'm trying to get in the spirit yeah, marathon, yeah. and I picked all movies I had never seen <laughs> with I think one cut. exception. Yep. And I didn't even know you guys put it out. Yeah, I we found watched this like fuzzy ass fucking oh, version God. on oh, YouTube. Yeah. And I wish I would have like <laughs> bothered to spend five more minutes yeah. realizing I could have found a yeah, clean. I think we interviewed copy. the director too about it too. Oh my God. It was it's like a revelation. I told everybody on our Discord that they have to watch it and people have been writing in like, holy shit, what wait, is isn't happening? I mean, like, I mean the the mouse with the when he tries to eat the guy's genitalia, like just <laughs> Oliver Reed, just the doing sex that. scene in the shower yeah. where he's standing like five <laughs> feet away from her. <laughs> a great film. It's what's the like sister feature? Or I don't know if they're related oh, at all. But you you were telling me that the same director made a Frank Stallone Mask yes, of the Red Mask Death. Mask of the Red Death with Frank Stallone in it. Oh my God! Oh, Is it as God. amazing as House of Usher? Ask Brian about. He's I haven't seen it yet. Brian has seen it. He you should talk to him. Okay. About that. Yeah. I. It's but it's like it part is. of me wants to save it for next Halloween so I have something to look forward to. <laughs> but that same director, it's so funny. He I 
I could be wrong on this. I think he did also uh, Agatha Christie's like Ten Little Indians. Yes. Also with Frank with- Stallone. And, and Oliver Reed, right? Yeah, or or someone like it was like that's amazing. A bunch of you know British character actors and stuff, and then Frank Stallone. <laughs> you love to see, you love to see it. You, you do. Know? It that's a, so cool. It was a weird era like then too, because like we're, we're doing more interviews from stuff for people from the nineties and stuff yeah, that, like that they're both like very late eighties, early nineties, right? Yeah, and they said it was a crazy time. It was like the peak of the direct to video, where like. If you made a film for like 150 grand and it was like really crazy and weird, someone would come to you and be like, yeah, I want to buy the film to own it outright, but I'll give you like 900 grand for it like right now. Yeah. And a lot of times they would say, uh, yeah, sure. sure. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Like, but that was, that was like the peak. It, it died quickly after that. And then like. It's a beautiful time though. Yeah, that so, was a really weird time. Wait, wait. Time. My second yeah. question. Oh, yes, <laughs> my second question, which. <laughs> Every year before the Black Friday sale, people on the internet are always like, what should I buy? Mm -hmm. And I am one of those people who freezes on the spot when they're asked a question. (laughs) But I'm going to ask you, sort of as a way to help people, what are some of your all-time favorite releases you've worked on? Uh, Definitely, still to this day, one of the top five for me is still uh, the telephone book. Oh yes, Hell yeah, yeah. That it's is just, so good. Yeah, it's just, it's it's one of those films you think was made by an alien, but it's just it works so well. It was like during like the weird kind of Andy Warhol period yeah. too, and it was just, it, and it looks very like William Klein. Yeah, it, and it was it's all black and white, but in the seventies and the. The, yeah, the, I love that that later black and white when like when it like doesn't need to be. Yeah, yeah, because they they look like more modern movies, yeah. but they have the like kind of like when in time are you? Yeah, it's really cool. And for anyone who doesn't know wh- like why you need to watch the telephone book, it's one of my favorite subgenres, the uh, obscene caller subgenre. Oh yeah, <laughs> except in this one, love an obscene caller. The the victim of the obscene phone calls falls in love with, <laughs> with the caller and goes on an epic journey throughout New York City to try to find him. And the caller's like, he's a trip. Too. It's yeah. it's the greatest. I think at the time, I forget the the actor's name, but the you, you never see his face. Um, he wears like a pig mask, but it dresses mm-hmm. in like that 70s used car salesman suit. Like and, a leisure suit. Yeah. And like he describes himself as being, you know, the greatest obscene phone caller ever. Like he describes himself yeah. as it to the point where he's like, if I wanted to, I could seduce the president of the United States, <laughs> but I have no political ambition. You know, <laughs> and so good. the actor who played him at the time, he got in trouble for this film, too, because he was oh, no. the lead like commercial voice actor for stuff like Colombian coffee at the time and like for all these like big wow i had no idea because he does have a great voice like a movie announcer trailer voice almost that's yeah and this played we actually played the telephone book i think justin actually programmed it years and years ago when we when it just came out and they had like they at the beginning for the elmo screening they played like stuff related to the film like people or and they played those old 70s commercials he did the voice of. That's wow. awesome. Yeah, I guess he lost some work from it, but he came back too. Oh, man. <laughs> so I forget the actor's name. Golden voice came Worth back. Yeah. Hello there. I'd like to talk to you very seriously for a moment. 
about your beautiful tits. What you are about to see can only be described as frank, adult entertainment. I just can't tell you how busy I am. I uh, made dirty calls uh, because I'm a creep. It was only a phone call, but it was a work of art. I was able to, to think out my problem and understand why I wanted to call her pretty girls and say, dick a lick. Um, another one I always recommend to people just for just sheer fun is Raw Force. Oh, fuck yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a good like, one. And when someone's like, what, what's Raw Force? I'm like, well, whatever you think of this film, when you see the original poster art, it's one of the few films where I could say everything on the poster art is in the film. Yeah. One way or another. Yeah. Know? Oh, my gosh. It's it's a wonderful movie. Yeah. I first saw it at like... Exhum. Yeah, they Exhumed. did their 24-hour yeah. marathon at <laughs> yeah. 4 a.m. And it's definitely the perfect Exhum yeah, film. The, the description that they gave for... The, I remember because the, they give you like the list of hints for the movies, and they'll tell you what they are. And the hint was basically just like, it's 4 a.m., wake up and watch yeah. this. Don't <laughs> fall asleep. Yeah. Wake up your sleeping friend. It was like something like that. Yeah, it'll and, wake you up. Like, Oh, oh and oh, people were like screaming and laughing. Going fucking nuts. You couldn't have slept if you wanted uh, to. And the whole like middle act, like before they oh, get the, to the, the psycho... The when party? They're, when they're on the boat. The party scene. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's watch a whole you, movie about... Oh the, my God, I can live on that fucking boat. It's like... <laughs> oh, it's still so never cool. figured out the name of the guy who smashes his head on the ice who has like the crazy like bald. Yeah. He's got like... But he's got like the amazing mutton chops oh like, yes oh my gosh crazy gallagher haired and like it's, it's like a movie that's filled with like the most famous character actors who were only in raw force yeah. you know like they were never <laughs> in another film but they yeah. were all like oh yeah that guy you know and then cameron mitchell shows oh like, yeah like every other... <laughs> just a, he elevates and every his, project uh, i think though. it was i don't know if his wife at the time or girlfriend for hope was it hope not oh what's her name <sighs> she, they were they were together in real life i can't remember hope something hope so, springs eternal yeah right? figuring out what this name is but then yeah you see them and then like just just that film is just so much fun oh, it's yeah. just like the perfect like kind of group film to just have yeah. a blast could i have another sweet vermouth on the rocks sure coming right up <laughs> one from like a pure like restoration one which I still think is underrated is uh, this film called Pigs from oh. Trauma. That is one of our earliest trauma films, and we we at the time we kind of went for the more kind of obscure trauma films, but ones that they still own, but they they themselves didn't produce. Um, yeah. It's Pig the other titles, Daddy's Deadly Darling. Yes. Oh, yes. It's, yep. oh, cool! Yes. I've never seen that. Oh, it's, it's so good. It's gross. Would you describe it as like a proto slasher? It kind of is, but it's, not really either. It's like a proto slasher that also has some like incest, backwoods, yeah. is it Texas like eaten Chainsaw alive, vibes? but with pigs instead of alligators? Or am I that's, kind of that was yes. my that, sort of sort of? But that's also what I thought to begin with. But it's like a whole other thing too. Yeah, yeah it's but, a lot. You but, said that it was from a restoration standpoint. So at the time we people knew that there were like a couple different cuts but no one had ever seen like a true director's cut the and what we were able to do that was my, i think my really true first experience of like okay we have you know the main film element for this but we also have all these different 
prints that were released under different titles like what was it daddy's daddy's deadly Deadly darling and there was another title too it was like something off of the exorcist i only know the two i can't remember (laughs) there was another title as well and they all had little bits of footage to create because they were released in different territories and like one in went over to europe or whatever and yeah and we actually were able to take the footage to create the director's cut and it it was that surreal moment when he walks in onto the like neighbors, the like the the older women. And yeah, the and he, he's dressed up and like masked and like parts like, of it are yeah. it's it's like sleazy, gross, definitely proto slasher, yeah. hard but, to but hard to like accept what's yeah yeah it's, it's there, really there's weird. like some weird family melodrama yeah. so you basically did sort of like a uh i don't want to say a frankenstein's monster but well, that, like that's the big thing with these some of these films is you have to frankenstein to yeah. complete them all too and and you know oddly enough like something like flesh for frankenstein was complete you know yeah. but like you do have these films again where they unfortunately they cut the violence another good example one i do recommend is witch trap Oh. Oh no. Wait, hang on a second. Did you hate it? <laughs> yeah. Did we hate that? Is that the one that we watched? We did. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait a second. You're recommending Witch Trap? <laughs> from, again, from a restoration standpoint. Because, like, the violence. It looks great. Yeah, well, that was all from another print that the director owned, and it was, like, the only one in existence. And, the, and that that's the one with young Linnea Quigley, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. yes. We're yeah. thinking of the same movie. Yeah. And honestly, you're you're doing fucking god's work you know you really really are that like these movies are are so often disregarded yeah not just by like film snobs or film critics or whatever i mean obviously they are but like just by even like film like like some cult movie fans don't give a shit about that yeah. you know like their cult movies are i mean great movies like the mutilator and things like that yeah, but yeah but you are truly doing the like like you're 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 digging like you're, yeah. you're you're and you're finding things that are that would otherwise be lost and you're putting a level of care into not i mean not even just restoring them but packaging them and like and putting them in like the kind of like in the precious precious yes. slip cases yes these precious <laughs> slip cases i you know, know we like to crack too, jokes on like but i still like i kind of you know going back though i'm like oh yeah you know there there's there's various controversies there are diff- different points of view on slipcases and everything and i'm like going back i'm like were people having these arguments with like the wicker man box anchor bay box back in the day oh, and yeah. stuff like that even yeah. then too sure sure yeah. but like the thing is though is that it's nice to see some fucking like weird movie about like roller skating <laughs> cretins yeah. like melting into each other and like there's a finger bang scene in the middle of the movie but it's just like presented in this way that I it's like that movie what's that yeah. it doesn't sound good it sounds good it's, insane. Yeah. it's coming out on black friday i, so, I know so. there's there's a 70s roller skating hardcore movie yep oh i don't know if there's well, a finger we, bang well, scene we also but... we put out uh roller babies yeah which oh, hell yeah i got excited and then i got sad because the poster they literally aped rollerball yeah and it's it's not, not it's different it's not that <laughs> it's yeah. very different film. it's um it's kind of like they kind of have that dystopian future yeah. in it but it's, it's i'm i'm curious that. though i just made myself think of a question when i said that you guys dig for stuff do you dig for stuff yeah or does stuff yeah um, so you know later we've been you know kind of i don't know if you want to call it blessed or just lucky enough to be able to do you know these bigger and bigger films as well while at the same time it lets us do these other like it still lets us do these obscure films and keep searching for these, you know, kind of 
either just made it on video or or just had terrible versions out there and so yeah we are doing stuff like roadhouse coming up or stuff like that but it also lets us do you know stuff like we can't talk about but stuff i've i've showed you guys about and it's (laughs) It's like like, like, it's like not to knock roadhouse but like if it's keeping the fucking lights on for a year you know so you can put out yeah this is one of my like biggest social media pet peeves is when people are like I feel like you've heard the whole spectrum from one side where it's like, why do I want to buy vinegar syndrome stuff? They just put out porn, which like those people yeah. should be excommunicated. But then the other side, they should be where, drawn and quartered. Well, I was trying to be nice. <laughs> it, 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 that has also been kind of sometimes a hindrance to acquire films. Yeah, they, they exactly. You know? Yeah. I imagine so. a, a company of, you know, well repute is, is sees that you're putting out some, you know, dirty skin flick and they're like, oh, I don't want some people love that. Too. Yeah, some no, people that's... are excited. Like some old school people who own, they're like, "Oh man, I remember that Triple X film that I saw when yeah, I was, that's I was supposed awesome. to see when I was seventeen at Forty yeah. Second Street, you know." And but uh, so yeah, it's you're you're always balancing, trying to trying to figure it out. But like, I will say with our you know big anniversary coming up in 2023, we are kind of going even deeper, kind of a little bit back to our roots oh, too, while also yeah. doing that's exciting. Yeah, Love so that. there's. There, there's a lot of weird. I thought I saw everything. That it's what we're learning is we've none of us have. All right, okay. Well, we're 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 gonna stop recording in a minute, and you can just fucking you can whisper in our ears. You can give. (laughs) But uh, but yeah, there's just so much to still be seen and to still be rediscovered too. That's which is uh, it's like I I feel like I come across people all the time online who seem so jaded and it's like I've seen everything like you fucking have not you've seen like 10% of the stuff I I really haven't seen everything oh my god (laughs) it's like yeah and like when you're restoring films sometimes like I need a break too like I with one one of our steps is quality control and that's to make sure like when we check out a disc before it goes to the manufacturer is like we watch it again and again on every player the whole way through every special feature everything yeah so after a while i'm like eh, i might not want to watch you know a certain movie for a little while yes <laughs> yes but <laughs> so. i have a tendency to to not watch movies i'm like oh and i gotta save it you know yeah, yeah. like oh i'm gonna i don't i'm gonna run which out. i think is crazy yeah. Yeah. more and more I am starting to agree that maybe that is a bit of a crazy tendency. Because I'm brainwashing you. A, a bit, but also, like, <laughs> that fear of, like, oh, we're going to run out of shit to watch. We're not. There is, you know, things that we don't even know about that's, yeah. you know, in someone's barn or basement or something. And hopefully, you I know. I mean, one thing that I don't know if you guys have really, have you guys talked about, like, the tax shelter films, too? No. With, like, back in the, like, a good example, we put out something like The Incubus from in oh, canada yeah. in canada at the time and they the guys that's talked the about cassavetes movie yes, right yeah, which yeah, i yeah. still haven't seen there's oh, a great line yeah. somebody's gonna get raped tonight yeah, it's, <laughs> it's insane it's yeah. insane it's like yeah it's on my list of things to watch this halloween season actually cassavetes versus a sexual demon like, yeah it's it's, it's gnarly it's yeah. gnarly with of all bruce dickinson's first band before iron maiden what? popping up in like their own unique music video in the film wow what they're watching in the theater yeah now i gotta watch it again <laughs> yeah the theater scene that's Whoa. it's just when you see these films you're discovering like all new things with them too you know and yeah like, i guess the one of the last ones i, I want to recommend like always is uh massage parlor murders it's so good yeah that just because 
Anytime Brother Theodore shows up in a film. Oh, my God. Like, he, yes. Whether this it is a is, gold standard. Whether it is a Jaws porno knockoff oh, called Gums. Gums. Yeah. Or it's a, a classic Tom Hanks romp, The Burbs. You know, the man just is a presence that yeah. cannot be denied. <laughs> but it's seeing him pop up in the Sobs Parlor Murders. It's like the cherry on top. It you, is. You know, it really like, is. And you know a film's going to be great when... A whole massive illegal car chase scene trying to ape French connection happens oh, yeah. that starts at a pool orgy too, and just to and the guy just in the car chase in a towel the whole time. Yeah. You love a, yeah. a towel clad post pool orgy <laughs> illegal car chase in yeah. your brother Theodore film. Yeah. The <laughs> only thing better is the funeral side orgy in Baby Rosemary. Well, I Nothing think about it. And yeah. I oh right God. now need to publicly petition for a John Hayes box set, please. <laughs> <laughs> I know some uh, of those films are lost. And I, yeah. Yeah. And then some are, I think. Who was that? I think Shout Factory actually did what Grave of the Vampire? Yes. They do? Yep. Which is and then, one of the best. Yep. And then I think there's a couple others too that I think with John Hayes films, that almost like is like a little time capsule of like vinegar syndrome as a whole, because he did Oh, totally. Triple X. He did horror. He did like God, he did I think he even did like a couple one or two small like kind of action films too. And like Yeah, his career's all <laughs> over the place, but specifically those like 60s into early 70s yeah. sex films that he did yep. are amazing <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't even know if the right elements exist or yeah. what the deal is but they're still like so obscure yeah they're i mean and we're, we're discovering there's still a lot of a lot of like filmmakers this is how they got started too is in triple x yeah and so there's there's just so much more films to discover and come out with so it's yeah. a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, so exactly. you better be doing this for at least <laughs> yeah. another ten years. Oh, that's my plan, anyways. So. Yeah. I mean, thanks for doing this with us, but like yeah. more so, thank you for what you do, man. It's like it's it, it keeps it keeps us going too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Is is to have these just beautiful films that we can watch at home that like look so fucking good, you know? And it's like as we watch so many cloudy, dirty looking, washed out movies. Especially like foreign films where like you only have like the top half of the subtitles, and it's just nice that it's really nice what you do. So thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Ah, um, I, I miss him. I miss him already. Like I, know, I, I, I had so much fun. Me too. Me too. I like. Uh, I mean, everyone at Vinegar Syndrome, not just Justin and Brandon, it was so cool getting to meet everybody and just to, like hang out for a couple days. Like we went to the store like three times. We kept going back, back to the store and just spending hours looking. It, it honestly, this is what it felt like to me. It, you know the Criterion channel, how they'll have like a little bit <laughs> yes. where it's like Paul In Dano. Yeah, Paul Dano goes to the Criterion closet to say, ooh, I love this Ingmar Bergman film. The whole time we were at the archive, it was just like, I felt like I was there. And like, when, ooh, this Joe Sarno box. And set. when Brandon was like <laughs> pointing out all of his favorite titles, it was just honestly, it was so much fun. And, it's so crazy how like talking about movies with your people and like finding your like clan a hundreds of miles away. Yeah, it really, really is. Well, and it's funny for me because I even at movie events sometimes I because of my social anxiety 
have a hard time meeting new people and small talk fills me with terror. But and not that like we were just meeting new people when we went to the archive because I was seeing old friends, too. But just like standing around the store, having random conversations about movies with people who work there or people who just happen to be shopping. People who just popped in. I love it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's the best. All right. And I think. I mean, again, a huge thank you to Justin and to Brandon for letting us interview them and like take time out of their schedules. It was honestly, thank you guys so much for that. We really appreciate it. And also thank you both for all the opportunities to do some of the amazing work I've gotten to do and the video essays we've gotten to do. Oh yeah. We got one coming up. We just worked on the video essay. Yeah. Insane. Um, but also, I, I kind of want to shout out some of the other people that we got to got to meet and work or meet and work with. We don't work with them. We fucking talk to them. <laughs> All the people that we get to we got to hang out with. Um, first off, Brian, another one of my favorite humans. Oh my gosh! Despite looking like an extra in Enzo Castellari's delightful 1990 The Bronx Warriors, <laughs> uh, he is one of the most passionate and just whip smart film fans. I i've ever met and grumpy i mean yeah uh, <laughs> honestly brian getting to spend time with you was one of the highlights of our trip it's it's strange how sometimes just sitting at a picnic table and talking about the puppet master sequels over ice cream can can bring us such a renewed interest in life uh and for that we thank you and i know that sounds kind of like a joke but um i'm deadly serious just talking to you about movies and life it was it was really special yeah we will definitely have to have brian on the show at some point i was nervous about asking him because i assumed he would just not be interested but it sounds like we're gonna have him on an episode the next time we go back to connecticut yeah i can i can't wait to go back i i it was so nice also, want to shout out Dino, who sells the rarest records to the weirdest people. We we got to drop in on Dino while he was tabling at a record convention at this uh, brewery. And my God, I thought mouth-breathing movie fans were the chuddiest humanoids from the deep. But fuck, watching Dino at work with these record swap people... Oh my gosh, gave me a renewed love for for movie heads. You know, I'll, I'll never talk shit on a deranged film fan again. Yeah, if you go to the archive most days, or at least, you know, frequently enough, you can find Brian and Dino often on the second floor. Dino, some of you might also recognize he's a Mahoning Drive-In regular. Usually when they do events where they have vendors, he shows up and sells movies and records so some of you probably know him. He also has other podcasts, and we'll we'll definitely have him on the show, too. Oh, yeah. And another huge, huge shout-out. This one goes to the staff at the Archive, particularly Dan and Adam. It was very nice to meet both you guys, How, however brief it was. And I want to add that Dan is particularly on the top of my list because I recently discovered that both he and I are among the elite tier of people who have given the 1981 film Attack of the Beast Creatures a five-star review on Letterboxd. So that's got to mean something. I understand how that feels. Whenever I meet somebody else who has given Deathbed a five-star rating, it's like you found your person. It's like a secret handshake. Uh, We also need to shout out Chris, who works part-time at the archive store, but 
is just a fountain of cult movie knowledge. Um, He's I, the old dude that met Jess Franco, right? Yes. And, Yo, he was awesome. So many good stories. I somehow run into him every time I've gone to the archive, which is always delightful. Yeah. Uh, this was... Uh, yeah, it's the best store. With if all you the best ever people. find yourself stuck in hell... And by hell, I mean the state of Connecticut. Route 95 in Connecticut. Go to the fucking archive. I swear to God. It is so cool. And uh, believe it or not, the the prices. Affordable. I mean, not for the fucking Blu-rays. That's just expensive as hell. I don't know how anyone can afford this shit. But for like all the VHS tapes and laser discs and posters and just games and crazy shit, like go there. Yeah, I hate to tell you, but we're going to have to go back soon because maybe two or three weeks after we were there... A week or oh, so ago. Oh, they opened ago, up that new annex. They opened up a whole new room in the archive store for things like t-shirts and posters, basically a non-movie room. Yeah, they got a little reading nook. I'm going so to that nice. fucking nook. Yeah, can't they can't they just get us like some futons, set us up a little a little shack in there? Shh. Oh, but they also, if you are out west and Connecticut is not accessible to you. They are in the process of opening a store in Colorado that started out as this little archive pop-up, but is going to be a fully-fledged store in its own right. Hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, Vinegar Syndrome. What what fucking heroes? You know, the work that they are doing, we just can't express enough how important... Yeah, it's just, it's important what they're doing. It really is. Yeah, and the thing that I just want to stress that I think came up in different ways throughout these interviews is... One of the things I love so much about them as a company is growing up as a cult movie fan, I was, or just as a cinema fan, I was always frustrated that people seem to want to put things into hierarchies. Like we talk about art movies on this, you know, tier for smart people with good taste and then regular people like dumb action movies and then perverts like hardcore movies. And it's like, to me, it's all cinema. Yeah. And I, they're one of the few companies who I caught on right away that, that, that doesn't was discriminate also, yes. genres. They don't. Totally. They, yes, they, they they treat each project that comes to them with the same level of care, and it's yeah, it's magical. Truly is. All right, all right. I guess you know if you have any money left over after the Vinegar Syndrome Black Friday sale, consider signing up for Sam Deegan's Patreon. We are both already overwhelmed with the amount of support we receive from listeners and friends of the show. And it's our hope to be able to continually expand our scope, get more of these in-person interviews, and occasionally focus on some patron-exclusive content beyond our bi-weekly happy hour episodes. And uh, I know despite working a full-time job for the Philadelphia Health Department, Sam is constantly working on commentaries, video essays, notes for our show and, and books yeah i mean yeah not to mention the three freaking books that you're writing right now simultaneously and i i just smoke weed and find funny clips to edit into the show <laughs> so any support that you that you throw us it really helps keep this ship afloat and we can really use it now more than ever also, which is totally free and supports us in a different way, join our Discord. Uh, it's always so much fun. Everybody is so nice and knowledgeable and has great taste. People 
sometimes will, you know, give you first dibs if they bought something that they want to trade. People share all kinds of things like upcoming screenings and music playlists. Yeah, and not to it's mention wild. all of the degenerate piracy that goes on there. You want to share some files? We got some of that going on there. It's fucking totally legal, you know, just rip your latest vinegar syndrome oh blu-ray and send it around to the world <laughs> all right everybody we love you guys good night happy thanksgiving <laughs>